You're listening to Pacific Post-Ups, an NBA podcast covering the Pacific Division, with your hosts, Lewis Dade and Nick Boylan. Let's get into it. To another edition of Pacific Post-Ups. Nick, it's been a, a bit of a tough week in the Pacific Division, lots going on, but I'm hoping you've still got your head held high for all of our listeners today. Uh, absolutely. There's been... No shortage of things to really start chatting about, Luke. It's um, it's been an interesting time, sort of after the All Star break. Um, there's some teams in a funk, and a lot of them are in the Pacific Division, which is not great for them, but it is good for us to have plenty of discussion points to get stuck into. Um, namely, starting with the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, considering, you know, I. I I feel like we start taking a dip with the Lakers on a very frequent basis because um, they never fail to give us stuff to talk about. And then that really sort of hit a pointy end of things um, yesterday, Lou, against the Pelicans. Yeah, look, the Lakers went into the All-Star game on a bit of a slide. And I think there was some thinking that coming out of the All-Star break, you know, LeBron would, would kind of hit his switch a bit. Uh, Russ might even find his usual post-All-Star form where he becomes a much better version of himself. But if anything, they've gotten worse. Um, the, the loss to the Clippers was disappointing for a bunch of reasons. One, the Clippers are a plucky team. We'll talk about them later. Mm. Um, and I guess it's somewhat forgivable to lose that game, although the Lakers, every game they lose now is looking very threatening. But the loss to New Orleans, who, okay, I, I spent a bit of time following New Orleans. They've been a pretty decent team after their horrific start to the year. Mm. which a lot of people don't realize they've been above 500 after they got off to a horrific start. But that being said, if you're going to be a, a playoff team, the playoff team is that is LeBron led Anthony Davis led Russell Westbrook led team would expect to be, you can't be losing games like this 95 to 123 when New Orleans franchise player is sitting on a couch somewhere, um, not in Jersey ready to play. So they got blown off the court with a 25-44 third quarter. Nick, you've watched lots of Golden State teams over the years make their name for winning games in the third quarter. Mm. What did you notice about LeBron, Westbrook and the Lakers just kind of falling away from this one? Falling away is a very good way to describe what happened because you can kind of cop getting blown out a little bit, maybe if if you're battling and then your team's just not making shots at the end of the game, which we'll talk about with another team in the Pacific Division uh, in a little bit. But the thing that you can't cop, and it's been a real telltale sign for the Lakers this year, particularly when you sort of flip the switch and they see how good they are when it is happening, but it's the lack of energy and the lack of fight that is really, really disheartening to watch. Um, They're a tough team to watch at the moment, um, this iteration of the Lakers, and it, it is... They're going to have games where there's going to be young teams in this back end of the stretch where simply there's going to be more up for the game. Um, you know, re- reporter Bill Oram from The Athletic, um, you know, tweeted some quotes um, after the game 
um, from Russ, um, who's talking about how sort of opponent scouting reports are now sort of rather than anything too technical are based around just playing harder than the Lakers. And Westbrook was quoted in saying, and it's working. Uh, until we determine and have the ter- determination that we're not going to allow it, especially on our home floor, it will continue to happen to us. The fact that they're aware of that is even more damning because it's not like they're sitting here and picking apart this, um, you know, part of their offense, this part of their defense. They're very aware of the fact that they're getting blown out sometimes simply due to a lack of uh, work ethic and effort. So that's incredibly concerning. You know, 23 turnovers as a team, seven each for LeBron and Westbrook. Um, You know, LeBron had 32, six and six, still was pretty okay, but seven turnovers for him is terrible. And some real laziness, uh, both on the, the defensive end and with the ball in hand from LeBron. Uh, a couple of really slack turnovers, one of which um, got a large amount of boos from the LA crowd. Um, whenever you're getting booed by your own fans, that's when you know you're starting to get to a bad spot. Yeah. And look, it, it's concerning a little bit as well that they're, they're stars. And I get LeBron and Westbrook aren't people that have played a lot of regular season 48-minute defense over the last couple of years. Um, something that's that I think a lot of people don't understand from a casual level just watching someone like LeBron play defense is he's still one of the smartest defenders in the game at all time because it's mm. LeBron and he reads the game well. And he will still pull out these incredible chase-down transition blocks or every now and then he'll just spring up and remind you that he's a super athlete. And I think what gets lost in that is he's become a lazy possession-to-possession defender, which is understandable given his age and offensive workload. Um, But usually in those scenarios, you've got a team that's put around a player like LeBron that can make up for those, you know, kind of issues. And when Russ was the guy in OKC, he could probably afford to be a little lackadaisical defensively because he was the franchise player. But he's, at best, the third best player on this team. And there are some Laker fans that might even tell you he's not even the third best player on this team. So... Yep. He really needs to start picking up his effort. I mean, it's good to see that Russ was at least aware enough because he can sometimes be difficult in the media after games when posed with yeah. questions like that. So credit to him for actually being self-aware. But, you know, it's that level of effort is concerning. Um, and it actually leads me to the first point I noticed in that loss of the Clippers, which was in the first half, the Lakers were being carried by Dwight Howard just showing some energy yeah. on the offensive boards. Like when you're relying on a... a don't get me wrong, he's still an incredible athlete for his age as well, but the skeleton of Dwight Howard to carry you through a first half against a team with no superstar and half of their other best players injured as well, it's seriously concerning. Um, we'll get to the, the front office move a little bit later, but is there any way they can turn this around? Is, is attitude fixable? I mean, everyone sort of talks about how the roster's constructed and who they've got out. They can't control that. They can't magically get Anthony Davis to be healthy. Otherwise, we'd be talking about potentially a very different NBA player um, if he had, you know, slightly better consistency with his body. They didn't do a move at the trade deadline. The moves that they can make are internal, and it does come down to their attitude. It is fixable because we have seen games where the Lakers have looked incredibly engaged and energetic. You know, that little sort of stretch of time when LeBron was playing center and they'd have, uh, I mainly sort of think of the Utah game uh, where they beat the Jazz and it just looked like the Lakers of uh, their championship run were getting out in transition, looking after the ball a little bit more than they were against the Pelicans. They had guys like Reeves and Stanley Johnson who were, you know, 
having a crack. And that's the part that is the most concerning thing at the moment. Um, I do think it's fixable. I do think that they can get some of this mojo back. The problem is we haven't seen enough evidence of it this season on a consistent basis for four quarters that gives you enough belief that it is going to happen. Could it happen? Yes. Is it going to happen? I'm not really sure because it's getting to the stage of the season where we now kind of have to accept that these are the Lakers. We can't... Are they going to change that much in these last 20-odd games? I don't think so. Yeah, and look, it's worth mentioning that uh, before the game against the Clippers, Frank Vogel moved Austin Reeves into the starting lineup, yeah. uh, which I think was his way of A. I mean, Austin Reeves is probably the best positional fit at this point. It's a, it's a weird spot, that fifth spot in that Lakers starting lineup without AD, because when you go with Malik Monk, it does help. Um, they're shooting in their offense, but then it just provides another you know, option for defenders to attack. As for attackers to defend, sorry. So, no. Yep. Yes, um, but at the end of the day, uh, Austin Reeves, who's an undrafted rookie, who's played really well for a guy that was, you know, not touted to be a, a you know, a key part of this Lakers roster, isn't going to fix everything. And I think we're at the point where, unless AD's back and they're moving him to the five, that's the only big roster shakeup that one day, you know, a lot of teams will have these roster changes or these lineup changes, and then you'll see these stats pop up. You know, in the last month, this team's been first in offense or first in defense since changing their starting lineup. The Lakers don't. The only time they have that move to make is AD at the five when he's healthy, yep. and that's about it. There is there's nothing magical that Frank Vogel can do here. Um, this this side coming into the start of the regular season, I think, was either the oldest or one of the oldest ever uh, starting uh, so rosters coming into a regular season. And we talked on the podcast about how that might be a bit of an issue. And I think you're, you're seeing here that you've got an issue. You've got a lot of older guys who think it's not their turn to play defense, to dive on the floor, to hustle. And they're expecting the very few young guys and guys on the fringe to put in all the extra effort. But at the end of the day, if, if most of your rotation is these older blokes, then you know you can only expect so much from the Austin Reeves and the Malik Monks when they get out there. Yeah, and you sort of go back to some of the predictions that we made about this Lakers team um, heading into the season and about how that age was going to put a premium on the performances of some younger guys, like you mentioned, like Reeves and like Malik Monk, but, you know, not having Kendrick Nunn out there for an extended period of time. I'm not saying he's like a, an all-world defender, but, again, a younger player with a little bit more energy than what these guys are going to have. And um, and Taylor Horton Tucker's sort of progression through the season hasn't been to the level that a lot of Lakers fans expected and probably the Lakers front office expected, given their uh, attachment to him in uh excluding him from any potential deals for a higher potentially higher caliber veteran player. So it's, it's a bit twofold with the Lakers roster at the moment, but you're right. This is what they've got. Um, they've got to wait for Davis to get back um, again. Injuries have not helped them. We know that, but this is, this is the cast that they've got and they've got to roll with it. Um, and we'll see what happens with AD coming back. Can they find a little bit more energy on a consistent basis? Because when they are playing with that sort of energy and, and pace and tempo, they're a hard team to face. But the problem is we just haven't seen it enough for them to, for us to really take the Lakers in this current construction as a serious threat in the Western Conference. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, on that note, the Lakers made an interesting move today by waving DeAndre Jordan. Um, before we get on to the two players that they've signed, DeAndre Jordan is likely to be picked up by Philadelphia. That's pretty strong mm. reporting at the moment. 
which is forming a weird triad between him, Andre Drummond, and Dwight Howard on players, <laughs> centers yep. that have left the Lakers and immediately gone to the Sixers. Um, they have them, they're signing DJ Augustin and Wenyan Gabriel, uh, both players that, you know, have shown different levels of capability in the past. I'll start on Augustine because he's got the far more, you know, uh, honored re- NBA resume. You know, he was pretty well respected in Orlando there for quite a long time. Um, mm. I always liked him as a, a guy that knew what he was doing on the court as an NBA player. The the stint in, I think it was Milwaukee, wasn't great. Um, you could argue he doesn't fit that system where they've got a lot of kind of stout, switchable defenders, except for, you know, obviously they don't like to switch their five too much. And then you've got little DJ running around and maybe it just wasn't a good fit. Not too many smaller guards have sat in that system for too long. That's why they like their, you know, their Eric Bledsoe's or their Drew Holidays because they're a bit more stout defensively. But um, he was then traded to the Rockets, I believe, in the deal that sent PJ Tucker uh, Mm. to Milwaukee and has just been kind of on that mess of a Rockets team. Um, I think he definitely still has some basketball left in him. I think at least the fact that he can shoot is good for Lakers. I think the fact that he can run a traditional pick and roll where the defenders aren't doing absolutely everything to get under the ball screen, unlike Russell Westbrook, is a good sign. Um, you know, when you've got, if he's running it with guys like LeBron or AD screening for him, he'll be quite effective because those guys just have so much gravity on their own. Before you get to Wenyan Gabriel, you know, how much does DJ Augustin feature in their rotation, do you think, Nick? Um, I think he'll play some decent minutes as a backup point guard, um, particularly given, uh, I guess, uh, Frank Vogel's. Not quick trigger, but certainly a lot quicker than it was maybe at the start of the season in terms of benching Russ, um, who is not the major problem um, for the Lakers, as maybe many people like to blame him uh, as and leave him as a scapegoat. In saying that, um, yeah, I think Augustine has got a little bit left to give, as you said, Lou. Um, You know, been shooting uh, just under 41%. Um, from three on 2.8 attempts a game this season. He's a career 38% from deep. Um, can shoot and, as you said, can handle the offense a little bit, which is something they kind of need because you don't really have that off the bench currently. Obviously, still no Kendrick Nunn. Um, Malik Monk and Austin Reeves aren't those sort of guards. Um, so I think having some steady playmaking from Augustine uh, combined with his shooting abilities is a handy asset. For Lakers, I don't think it's a major needle shifter, but it, I I do see him playing um, some pretty key minutes if they are to uh, you know push towards things for a play-in or play playoff spot. Um, and then yeah, as you said, um, Lou, the other players that they that they acquired uh, or they're acquiring on a two-way contract is Wenyin Gabriel, who's uh, you know got a bit of bounce and um, has an athletic sort of power forward. Um, four type player with a little bit of three point range. Um, looked okay during uh, a bit of time in New Orleans, and then spent some time with Clippers when they were, you know, had such a thin roster that you and I could have got a game because uh, of COVID. So, um, not someone who I I expect to really again shift the needle too much. But there's some energy and inf- an influx of energy and youthfulness in there that uh, potentially could help out uh, at, uh, for the Lakers. I think uh, it's funny because LeBron probably remembers when in Gabriel for the player that Portland tried to chuck on him in the bubble playoff series when they had pretty yeah. much no one else. Um, I'd expect more out of Augustine, but I think when in Gabriel could potentially hit, um, it's an upside on a guy that showed about a bit of athleticism. Just bring this all to a cap. 
DeAndre Jordan's experiment with the Lakers, it didn't work. Is it he's done or did the Lakers just not look to fit him in properly? Um, it's a bit of column A, column B. I don't think that he's – I think he's a type of game. I mean, we saw it in Brooklyn that he was – it felt like he was borderline getting close to being out of the league and finishing up. Um, you know, as a player whose um, peak was when he was an athletic machine, um, you know, blocking shots, finishing dunks. Um, he was a type of player who, given his you know his profile, um, was always going to struggle uh, when he got older, um, and that's happened a little bit for the Lakers. Um, they do have Dwight Howard there as well, and they don't need to play as many bigs. I still think that he can, you know, maybe do some minutes for Philly. I'd probably, as a, as a buyout guy for Golden State, it's probably not the worst insurance policy that you could have, but. Potentially, I'm not sure if the decision was made uh, or how quickly it was made, but or, or if uh, Rob Polinka was watching the game yesterday and saw uh, DeAndre's uh, turnover, but uh, ended up going way, away into the crowd and led to a, a pretty decent uh, little jab from Richard Jefferson on commentary because um, uh, I forget who was doing play-by-play -play at the time. Uh, forgive me, but said that you know it was a souvenir, uh, you know. Um, for the lucky fan who caught that one going into the crowd and RJ said that no one wants any souvenir from this game, <laughs> uh, which I thought was pretty good. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't think it's, you know, yeah, I think I think Jordan's time uh, in the league is coming to an end. Um, but, you know, we'll see what happens in Philly. Yeah, look, my gut feel says that he was done a year and a half ago. Mm. Um, but always happy to wait and see. Moving on to your Golden State Warriors, Nick. Now, um, mm. For the, the listeners, Nick's the one that puts together a lot of our dot points. And there's some pretty angry ones about the game against the Mavericks here. But I want to start by talking about the win against Portland first. Tell me okay, what you let's get this out of the way. From a fan's perspective, what do you see in that big win against Portland? Oh, who needs the, the point god, Chris Paul, when you've got Steph Curry just rolling out dimes? Uh, had 14 assists. Um, yeah, the 132-95 win. Had eight worries and double figures. Everything was looking all sunshine and roses. Um yeah, Steph was two away from his career high of assists. Uh, it was 16. Uh, it would have been cool if he got that. Um, but, yeah, just a, a different sort of game from Steph. I thought Kaminga looked really good off the bench. Didn't have that same kind of consistency against the Mavs. Um, but coming out of the All-Star break, it was important for Golden State to get that win, considering how much they were struggling before the break. Um, obviously, riding high off Steph's performance in the All Star game was good to yeah get a win because this you know Portland are you know currently uh, not in a playoff spot at the moment. They've actually been okay since they made some moves at the deadline, um, and you know Ant Simons continues to look like an absolute machine and I don't know maybe my lock for most improved player um, this year and probably for a few others. Um, he looked really good against Golden State as well, but just a really good game. Um, Good to get some more reps into into everybody, uh, and yeah, that was that was a good win. That was the last time I was feeling positive about the Warriors. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, it's always worth shouting out when a guy like Steph has a big assist night because he doesn't really get as much credit from his playmaking as what he should. Nope. Um, NBA fans tend to box in their superstars for a couple of skill sets they do really well and often fail to talk about the things they also do at a pretty elite level as well. Um, Warriors. Lost to the Mavericks, uh, choking away a 21-point lead. They lost 101-107. Uh, 
you were fuming. Nick, uh, I'm going to let you take the floor on this one and then perhaps I might cool things down for the listeners after you've uh, burned the studio to pieces. <laughs> so to give some people some context, I didn't get to watch this entire game from start to finish because I've uh, just started at university, or at least on campus this week, and I was uh, keeping a cheeky eye on it during uh, my lecture. Uh, on tutorial, sorry, and uh, just had the tab open. I was like, oh, it's looking quite comfortable. Um, the bits and pieces that I did watch um, were mainly in the in the early running of the game where Golden State looked fantastic. Uh, they were able to shut down and frustrate Luca, um, which I always enjoy considering um, he's uh, had quite a bit of a blow up in the bronze medal game uh, against the Boomers. Um, and... He is a guy that you can kind of get under his skin and you can crack it a little bit. So always, you know, it's always fun to do that. Um, but no, I thought Wiggins and, and Peyton did a really good job trying to shut him down, um, you know, hold, holding uh, Luke to one uh, from eight uh, from the field, giving him four turnovers. He had a technical for cracking it. And um, yeah, they looked good early, but just late, it it all fell away. So it was, yeah, 107 to 101 in the end of Dallas. I'd sort of turned my phone back on after I'd gone for a walk, had something to eat, and 19 in the fourth quarter, Luke. And Dallas went on a 26 to 1 run. 26 to 1. Um, it, it was mind-blowingly bad to watch. Um they went away from uh, the pick and roll, which was really successful in the early goings. They really targeted Dwight Powell to the point where um, Jason Kidd took him out of the game. But um, credit to Dallas for going a bit smaller and making that a little bit harder to do. But the fact that they settled into a lot of jump shots and just completely stunk it up in that last quarter made this game a very, very hard one to take. And you know, as, as you said, I was pretty damn angry after the game, and I'll I'll deal ta- I'll detail a few of the reasons why in a little bit. But yeah, that that's my initial <laughs> summation of that game. Yeah, look, it's look, it's no shame in losing to Luca in the maps. They're a good team. They've probably been better this year than a lot of other teams have given them credit for. Um, but the Warriors didn't look great in this game, and I think they another game where they really missed the calm presence of Draymond as much as. Calm is an interesting word to use to describe him. Um, you've talked a little bit about a lot of the issues and the mistakes that the Warriors players perhaps made, but I'm reading between the lines here. I can feel some frustration towards the coaching staff, Nick. Where do you think they went wrong strategically? Mm. So there's a lot of – the discourse around Steve Kerr is incredibly interesting and has been since he got the job uh, in Golden State. I think like a lot of people, you know, sort of put his glittering resume, um, you know, down to the fact of the players that he's had at his disposal, that anybody could come in there and do that sort of job with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green and Kevin Durant for a period of time as well. And a lot of people will blame Kerr when things aren't going right. I've never been a big no, uh, non-fan of Steve Kerr, but there's some decisions that have been made this season in terms of rotations that are a, a little bit aggravating to watch. It was interesting to see that Jordan Poole didn't get the start in Clay Thompson's absence, so he missed the game through illness and will miss the next game against Minnesota as well. But 
started Moses Moody um, in a game that I thought that I thought that was quite interesting. I understand trying to get Jordan Poole acclimatised to being a six man, but still without Draymond, his additional ball handling skills in the starting lineup, I think were much more important than Moody's um, three and D capabilities um, in, in that spot. And then the rotations, like the big one that a lot of people are getting really frustrated by is Steph Curry's minutes um, and how they have a very distinct structure that is quite different from what they used to do. Um, and we in the last quarter where Dallas have now cut the game back to uh, a four-point def- deficit, Moses Mooney comes in for Steph at the 537 mark of the fourth. The game has got that close. If Steph played the rest of the game, he probably would have played about 40 minutes, probably 41 minutes. You just got to play him, I think, for the rest because they were getting smoked for that entire fourth quarter. They've had some really interesting lineup combinations where they're trying to get Jordan Poole playing with um, Nemanja Bialica and Damian Lee, which means you've got three negative defenders out there on the court at the same time. I think that Kerr's really not getting the mix right at the moment, and that's very frustrating. Yeah, it's interesting. Look, Moses Moody's had a good year in the, the G League, and if they wanted to reward him, there are ways to do other than injecting him into the starting lineup. Um, do you think Steph in any way would have asked to have his minutes managed like that to keep him under 40, or do you think this is entirely from the Warriors coaching staff? I mean, it could be, but there's there's too many signs of Steph when he get, does get pulled out of a game, particularly if he's going okay, that um, that, he, that he's not super gassed about it. Um, so, I don't know. It, 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 I'll be interested to see if it changes at all. I mean, for the playoffs, he's obviously going to play more minutes and trying to keep his body cherry ripe for that is important. I totally understand that. And I'm probably overreacting about a game, uh, you know, in late February, early March. But it's the the rotation thing is a little bit of a concern because it does leave the Warriors at a disadvantage, particularly without Draymond. Um, and they didn't have Paul in there late to try to give them a little bit more playmaking. In saying that, Jordan Paul has really struggled of late, um, still trying to work himself into that six-man role. Um, you know, I don't think it's any surprise that his best game that he's played in a while probably was against San Antonio when everybody was was out. So they're still trying to get the fit right with him, get him some confidence in playing and um, being in that six-man role. Would he lack some confidence because he's not starting um, over Moses Moody in a game where Clay Thompson's out, potentially? That's shaking him up for that game. Who knows? Only Jordan would know that. But the fact that they're getting they're not getting production out of Wiggins and Poole, you know, Wiggins hasn't had more than 20 points, I think, since late January. Uh, or sorry, mid-January, I think, coincidentally, around the time when uh, he was announced as an all-star starter. Um, not sure if that's affected him. So there's a lot that's not going right for Golden State at the moment. And while, yeah, there is some onus on the coach to try to find a better mix at the moment, I don't think he's doing that. Yeah, look, it, it, we want to keep an eye on, that's for sure. Draymond coming back could put a band-aid over a lot of this as well. Um, it tends to do that. A team that is going to have to be without their injured superstar for a while is the Phoenix mm. Suns, who have gone one and two in the week since it was announced that Chris Paul was injured. Um, I think we'll quickly cover off the win, which was a 124-104 win over OKC, which, yes, OKC haven't been 
too much of a push over this year, but you'd still expect Phoenix to take care of them. Aaron Holiday had a good 20, 12 and 5 off the bench there. Uh, you know, we could tell it was going to be a lot of point book. Um, and that hasn't really played out in the other two games so far, Nick. Uh, you follow the Jazz a little bit. They lost a close game there, 114-118, with Booker having 37 and 7. Cam Johnson and DeAndre Aiden both had 23. What did you see in that game out of the Suns? Was that look like an elite team, or are you concerned about the lack of Chris Paul uh, on that roster at the moment? Um. I mean, offensively, I think they've been okay. Uh, Cam Johnson, I think, has been um, doing his part in terms of trying to replace some of the scoring that they're missing out of Paul. Um, obviously, the playmaking was going to change without you know, arguably one of the greatest playmakers of all time. Um, being out of the lineup doesn't help that campaign is still out with injury. And then they missed Aaron Holiday against the Jazz as well. So it puts an even more of an added pressure on Booker to really create things for his team. Um the defense has been sluggish to get out of the break. Like a lot of communication issues that I'm not used to seeing out of Phoenix are usually rock solid as all hell. I'm not sure if that's due to the fact that not only they're missing Chris Paul, the player, but they're missing Chris Paul, the voice out on the court as well. Um, it could be impacting things a little bit. Um, you know, they had a, a, quite a few games. Um, it was a pretty quick spurt of three games after the all-star break and they are going to take time to work this out. The Jazz are a tough opponent who have been playing really well um, sort of in the last month or so and have sort of crept back under the, you know, they're creeping back sort of under the radar a little bit into some better uh, Western Conference form. But I think that at least out of things at the moment, there's been some concerning things to see, but I do think that these are things that can be alleviated uh, over time after they sort of get used to what they want to look like uh, without Chris Paul. Yeah, Booker's really stepped up with his scoring as well. Um it's just tough because Booker can play make, but I think they'll start to look a bit thin if they keep, you know, making Booker be the point guard. Um, I'd yep. like to see them start Aaron Holiday. Do you think there's any validity in that or is it too soon for a guy that was just acquired by the Suns? Hmm. Could work. I don't mind that just to, to get some, uh, you know, additional, uh, playmaking duties out there in the court at the same time. Um, I thought he's looked pretty okay um, in his time um, for Phoenix so far. Um, looked pretty good against OKC with 12 points and five dimes off the bench. Um, I'd almost go a, a slightly different way, potentially. Um, as, as good as Cam Johnson's been at scoring the ball, I'm a little bit worried about the defensive issues that creates with him on the court a little bit. Um, I still don't think that he's probably the defender that they need him to be. And there's only so much that Booker's improved defense and Mikhail Bridges, Jay Crowder and DeAndre Ayton can cover up. Um, I'd potentially look at maybe starting Torrey Craig for a little bit just to steady things up a little bit. Um, obviously, he's not a playmaker and he offers a completely different skill set to Aaron Holiday uh, into that starting lineup. But I think his solidity, um, some added rebounding as well um, and just some veteran presence out there, I think would be handy for Phoenix, but I'd also see an argument for definitely starting uh, holiday and seeing uh, what you could do um, with that starting group. Yeah. And look, I, I can see that certainly see the point there rather than worried about the offense, which has looked pretty good on paper. I'm sure up the defense uh, and Tory Craig's are very, you know, they were hanging until about half time. But CJ and BI combined for over 60 
Mm. Was this just a good game from the Pelicans? Just a, a matter of the sun still adjusting? What did you see out of this one as well, Nick? Yeah, I think, um, like you said um, at the start of the show, Lou, when we were talking about how the Lakers have been going, um, you know, the, the Pelicans have you know been a pretty okay team for a little bit, and they're going to have nights where their star power is going to beat teams. And I think that was, you know, it's kind of one of those nights um, where, yeah, Ingram and McCollum are, are pretty hard to stop. They're, they're a tricky to, team to play against, um, both of those guys when they're playing so well and, and putting a lot of pressure, um, like I said, on the defense that hasn't been uh, strongest um, since after the All-Star break. Um, it's just kind of, it felt like kind of one of those losses. It's like, okay, it's kind of not Phoenix's night. This is sort of – that's sort of what that game felt like a little bit um, when you sort of, you know, getting not the best contributions out, you know, so of the rest of them. Johnson's, I think, has been pretty okay offensively. Um, you know, like you said, Booker was, you know, strong as well. But, yeah, still, still just trying to get that mix right, and that's probably, um, you know, kind of where they're – lacking a touch um and particularly on a night where you're shooting 12 or 40 from deep that you're going to not have the best time as well so yeah look that's all fair i think phoenix we give them another week to see what this looks like and we'll be able to yeah. have a much clearer picture on what we think about this chris paulus phoenix suns um the clippers six and ten six and four in their last 10 sitting in eighth one three in a row uh before we get on to a thrilling win against houston that Lakers game, what did you see on the positives from the Clippers side against the Lakers? It's it's just kind of a, an overwhelming sort of strengthening numbers a little bit. I mean, Canard's game off the bench I thought was really good. Um, he really made the Lakers pay for some lackadaisical defensive coverage um, at times. But, no, just the energy to keep sort of staying in that contents, contest a lot. Um you know, we, we talk about what the Lakers have been lacking as energy, and it's a, and this is something that the Clippers have almost had to rely on for a large chunk of the season without their star power. Um, and it served them well when coming back in a lot of games. Um, but I thought that, you know, really, really good. Uh, Terrence Mann, I thought, had one of his better games of the season. Uh, 19 points and 10 boards um, was really strong uh, in that game. Hit a couple of big shots late as well. Um to really rise to that occasion um, against the Lakers, which I thought was really impressive. Um, and yeah, I think it's just showing that this Clippers team still got a lot left in the tank. You've still got Marcus Morris who can, um, you know, sort of be your ISO scorer um, a little bit as he was late in that game against the Lakers. Um, hit particularly one big shot, um, a, a tough um, little fader. Um, and yeah, I thought they were pretty okay. And, the, and they also defended well um, in, in the last um couple of possessions where they, you know, made LeBron give the ball up um, and led to Melo trying to hit that bomb from three, which didn't work out. Um, but no, I think that the, the Clippers are, are, are right sort of um, are going in a pretty good spot when, you know, the, the other LA team is, is not. And the Clippers are trying to shore up a pretty clear playoff spot now than rather than maybe a likely play-in uh, entry, which is a, a good sign for them. Yeah, this Clippers team reminds me a lot of the 2019 Clippers team as well, the one that pushed Golden State. Um, The win over Houston, it was 99-98. It was really close, and the Rockets actually pushed them right to the end. Mm. Was this the Rockets rising to the occasion, or did the Clippers pay down a little bit, do you think, Nick? I think a little bit of both. Um, You you could sort of say 
in in that one, Lou. Um, it, it was an interesting game to watch. Um, you know, they they thankfully had Reggie Jackson um, to have 26 nine boards and six assists, and he was particularly clutch late. But you know, Houston, Houston got out to a pretty okay start. The Rockets have shown that they can do this in games very much a sign for a lot of younger teams is just keeping that effort coming over four quarters and, you know, sort of getting outlasted a little bit by teams with a greater collection of veterans and more established NBA players. But, um, you know, Houston have got some weapons that um, can frustrate the Clippers a little bit. And I thought that they were pretty okay in that game. Um, thankfully, it was one that uh, the Clippers were able to to pull away uh, and win, um, but it, it certainly was touch and go there for a little bit. Obviously, Jalen Green just missing the that uh, potential game time uh, deep shot, which was uh, you know would have would have been nice um, to see. But um, no, it was it was a fun game to watch. That was for sure. Yeah, shout out to Reggie Jackson who had twenty six nine boards, six assists, and hit I think the go ahead bucket down the stretch. Yep. Uh, Terrence Mann also led the way with 19 and 10 boards, and Luke Kennard had a stellar 18 off the bench. The Kings, who, starting with a positive, beat OKC. I'm seeing a theme here in the Pacific Division. Um, 29 and 10 for uh, De'Aaron Fox, 24 for Trey Lyles in his first Kings start, and 23 for Harrison Barnes. Dante DiVincenzo also looked pretty good with 14 points off the bench. Did you see anything out of that OKC game, or was it a matter of them taking care of a team that's just a bit worse than Nick? I mean, Trey Lyles is the answer. That's uh, that, that's the that's the easy thing to say. Um, we've been waiting to try to find a fit at the power forward, um, or you know, at the five spot, depending on which way you're looking at it, um, to fit alongside Sabonis. And obviously, it's it's Trey Lyles. Um, uh, all jokes aside, um, Lyles was really good. You know, 24 points as he said, Lou. But this wasn't him just going bananas from three. Uh, scored well off some cuts, made some good decisions, and just was part of this, I think, renewed vigour that Sacramento have got where they've been playing with some good pace, I think, since they got Sabonis and they've had a more unleashed Yaron Fox. Um, you know, this is it. you know, although it's a, a team that they should beat, um, the, the manner in which they beat them was very encouraging, uh, particularly considering Sabonis didn't have his best game in a Kings uniform thus far. And you mentioned DiVincenzo, that was probably his best game um, for Sacramento so far. Um, that shot's going down and he's able to combine that with some really high-level defensive acumen. Um, you understand why Sacramento w- was so keen to get him uh, in that trade um, with Bogdanovich um, that didn't go through. So, no, I, I really I, I liked his addition at the deadline and where we can get him. And this is a sort of play we can – if he gets to his shot back a little bit and starts to look even better next year after he's had further time away from his injury – um, you know, the Kings are looking a lot better. And I think that DiVincenzo was a natural one potentially to slide into a starting spot, depending on how they, where they want to go with things. Yeah, look, we, we do know that uh, the Kings certainly like Dante DiVincenzo. And shout out to Trey Lyles. Interestingly enough, Marvin Bagley's also looking pretty good in Detroit. So that trade mm. might have been pretty good all the way around. They lost two tough games to the Nuggets uh, with two very different stat lines from DeMontis Sabonis, who had... 13, 14, and five dimes in a 110, 128 loss. And then, you know, 110, 115 loss, he just had 16 and seven. Do you think, before we touch on the rest of those games, do you think Sabonis is still just a little bit trying to understand how to, how aggressive to be on this Kings team? I think it's a little bit of that. Um, it's also adding the fact that he's playing against 
the best big man in in the league at the moment, depending on which conference that you're spending more time looking at um, and what type of centre you like watching. Um, It's always a tough ask against the Joker. Um, I thought that, yeah, Sabonis looked really good in that first game in in Denver um, with the big 33 and 14. I I still think that it's good that his playmaking numbers have been pretty good and sort of, you know, that was the one of the things that we were talking about is like how much of a fulcrum that he will be um, in terms of um, as a passer for Fox um, to sort of operate out of the high post and in handoffs and that sort of thing. And for the most part, that's been pretty good so far. Um, but yeah, I think that just trying to get the right fit with the guys around him as well. Um, you know, Lyle's giving him some more space um, against OKC is something that's going to work in their favour. They do need a floor spacer out there, particularly if they've got Fox. You've got Barnes, who is the best shooter out of that bunch, but by no means an elite three-point shooter. And if you're running Davion Mitchell out there, who hasn't had the best shooting start to his NBA career. Has some games where he can hit, but still is a little bit streaky um, from downtown, and despite the form looking pretty good. So I think that, yeah, trying to get the right fit around Sabonis is going to help. Um had some yet yeah, some struggles against Denver and then got into a lot of foul trouble today um, against OKC and turned the ball over what eight seven or eight times. So yeah, I, I think that to to cut a short story long, Lou, I still think that he's trying to find his feet in Sacramento and seeing exactly what his role on this team is going to be. But the early signs are good. It is a it can be a tough team to find your role on. Um, it's a little bit confusing at times. Uh, Jeremy Lamb has looked pretty solid off the bench. Uh, I didn't think he'd have much to give after his injury in and the way he played in Indiana, but is this a guy that could be potentially a part of this team long-term? He kind of, he didn't really see where the fit was going to be um, for Lamb, you know, sort of use the term steak knives a little bit uh, when it comes to trades are going to include sort of guys, but, you know, he hits unrestricted free agency after, and he'll be turning 30. So, if Sacramento want to pick him up and you know and bring him back, I think that certainly wouldn't be the worst wing to have on your roster. I do think that though he might be looking for less money and more time on a contending team because I still think that there are teams who are very much like the skill set that Jeremy Lamb can provide. Um, not the best defender in the world, but someone who's got you know some wingspan and length and is a can hit his threes for sure and provide a bit of offensive uh, microwave ability at times can get hot in, in a hurry. Um, so I do think that while it may not be benefiting the Kings too much in the long run, that Jeremy Lamb is at least doing himself uh, some favours uh, heading into the offseason and, and getting, you know, a few teams, a few more teams potentially interested in uh, acquiring his services. Uh, yeah, look, he's a unique player. I'm not sure whether he'd play 30 minutes a night on a contender just because he no. can get picked on defensively, but... Uh, Hopefully Sacramento might strike it lucky. Strike it lucky if he seems to be a good fit. Um, I never underestimate locker room fit in a young team that struggled as well. You put here King still trying to get the mix right. Nick, uh, are you sure that this is a mix that they're going to get right? Is it just a matter of working in all these trade pieces, or do you think it's kind of same old, same old in Sacramento? I mean, they, they do have an interest in getting the mix right right now because making a move for Sabonis clearly, you know, has targeted the play-in spot as an option for them, um, which is still very much a spot that they could potentially get to um, with how things are settling, particularly with the Lakers at the moment. They're, if they're sliding quite 
drastically, then, you know, things get a little bit interesting um, there. But they do really need to be, like, borderline perfect the rest of the way home. It's, it is going to be a test for them. And I, I don't think the play-in is a major, you know, boom for a lot of teams, as I'll get to in a little bit um, with another team. But if they can finish the season with a little bit of confidence and have some semblance of an idea is what I talked about um, at the deadline, regardless of them making the play-in or the playoff spot at all, if they can get some kind of identity going, if they know what the fit's going to be like with Fox and Sabonis and seeing who else they can get around that, I think that four spot's going to be really interesting for them, how many you know players that they roll through there. Trail is going to start the rest of the season? I probably don't think so. And then you've still got to factor in Rashawn Holmes coming back from yeah, his injury and seeing how he's going to go um, with Sabonis. We've only got a small sample size of that so far as well. Um, have you had any further indication of what this mix could look like for Sacramento, Lou? Are you still very much at, you know, trying to work out which group is going to be the best for them potentially to get an elusive postseason appearance? Uh, the two-man game between Box and Sabonis has shown me a little bit enough to be encouraged. As far as everyone else around him, I think it's all open season, except for, you know, a guy like Harrison Barnes is obviously going to be a good fit. I can't quite decide on the centre situation at the moment, but it's we're, we're seeing enough to see little bits of chemistry and little bits of all. Oh, that looks good, but it, it's too early for me to be confident on anything in Sacramento until the shine wears off and then we can figure out what they're like when they really get down to business. Mm. Uh, we'll be back with scorching, lukewarm or chilly and the Evita Zubac Award. After the break. Pacific Post-Ups is closely affiliated with OTG Basketball. They've got a fantastic podcast and YouTube network where you can keep up to date with all things NBA. Make sure you follow them on Twitter and YouTube at OTG Basketball. Back to the show. And we're back with scorching, lukewarm, or chilly. Nick, I think you've picked the hot topic team at the moment, so I'll let you fire away with your first t- for the listeners. Yeah, it's not the first time that I've mentioned the Lakers during this segment of the show, Lou, and I don't think it'll be the last even with such a small portion of the season left to go. But with that in mind, I think the Lakers need to miss the play-in tournament and the playoffs. Ooh, um, they don't have their own pick. So this is pretty scorching. Tell us why a team without their first round pick and three max contract superstars need to miss the play. I think they need a wake-up call, and I don't think they're going to get it unless this situation happens. I'm very, I'm always, since the playing tournament's been introduced, I think it's been a a great thing that adds excitement to the league um, and to this back end of the season. I think that's a good thing. Um, particularly when we start to get so many dead rubber games sort of towards the end of an NBA season prior to the playing tournament being introduced. However, I do think that the negative part of the playing tournament is the fact that it kind of creates almost like a a false sense of of success and achievement um, that getting into these like lower seedings creates. Because then you start looking at like the win-loss total and it's like, well, even if they did get into the play-in tournament, it's really not winning that many games on the season. How good of a season did they have? I don't think that – I don't have a lot of confidence in the Lakers getting out of a play-in situation. If they do, I think they'll get into a situation where they'll face potentially what you're sort of going into playing Phoenix, 
Golden State, even Memphis, if Memphis uh, get up there. It's a situation where I think all those series, I think the Lakers could get smacked. And I think that would be not the kind of way you want to finish this season, even if... So, I don't know. I guess what, what I'm trying to say is that I think that the wake-up call that the front office needs um, will come from being completely out of any sort of playoff situation. I understand the pick situation, but it it does give the opportunity to really look at themselves, look at this roster and make some hard calls, whether that, and these are, these are tough calls that could be made not just with players, but also with coaches, uh, with front office uh, members as well. I think that the, the Lakers are looking at sort of the, the end of the LeBron era is coming quickly. And I think that they need to make some major changes because we're getting so far removed now from the bubble. I know that doesn't. I know it's really like a few years ago, but it, like, it's. I feel like we're far away enough from that team that they need to make some more drastic changes than what they've done, and make some ones that, you know, make sense. Look, it's tough because we know LeBron will be sending wake up calls at them via every press conference for a every day of every week until mm. they're back being competitive. But if by wake-up call, you think they need to reevaluate not just the fringes, not just Russell Westbrook, but also guys like Anthony Davis and LeBron, then yes, them finishing as low as possible this year is the best that they can do because they might realise, hey, it's not trading Russell Westbrook for John Wall that's going to fix everything. Yeah, We've got an ageing superstar who's very good, but needs a very specific team and can be a little bit temperamental when things don't go his way and a, a fairly young superstar that has the body of a very old superstar. So, yeah, I think in, in theory, it could be good for the Lakers. It, it would hurt them so much in the process to learn this way. But either way, they might get smacked out of the playing tournament if they get there because they've lost to this Clippers team six times in a row. And the Minnesota Timberwolves are, are pretty plucky. So um, I could definitely see them beating whoever finishes 10 if they finish nine. But everything after that's going to be hard. And even yep. getting past a, a Timberwolves or a Clippers, that every game after that's going to get so much harder and they're going to look pretty out of their depth, I'd say, in the playoffs. Yeah, I think that that could be a very bad thing to happen on, on the big stage. But we'll see what happens. Um, over to yourself, Lou. Uh, also concerning a team's uh, finish to the season uh, to a different part of California. What have you got for us? Well, Ben Simmons doesn't know this team's in California, but the rest of us do, and that's the <laughs> Sacramento Kings. Um, they have a game coming up on uh, Thursday morning Australia time, Wednesday night US time, which is against the New Orleans Pelicans, who are the current 10 seed in the West after having a nice little patch here. They're the Trailblazers and the Spurs are also in front of the Kings. The Kings are a game and a half back of the Spurs, three games behind the Blazers and the Pelicans. They're also only three games ahead of the Thunder. If they can't rally and win that game against the Pelicans, they're not only putting such a gap between themselves and the 10 seed, let alone what the Spurs or the Trailblazers do, but it also signifies to me that this team, you know, doesn't know when to step up and put the foot down. Um, the Pelicans will come into that game hot, knowing that they can probably, you know, really put a spike through someone that's chasing them. Um, but 
I, I don't know. Mathematically, it's going to get so difficult as well, but but I just think it says everything we need to know about this Kings team if they can't rise to the occasion and win that game. Now, if they can, they've got a lot ahead of them. But the the total nature of my take is if uh, the Kings lose to the Pelicans, it's time to give Sabonis some knee tendonitis, um, say De'Aaron Fox's hamstrings feeling a bit sore, and uh, and call you know call in a good old fashioned tank for the rest of the year. Try to get a really talented young player to play alongside these two. He's calling for the tank. I mean, that's pretty scorching. Um, I'm not disagreeing with you, um, although I'm not the biggest fan of a tank, um, despite my uh, very perplexed and su- surprised expression when I saw uh, Shay Gilgis Alexander back on a basketball court for the OKC Thunder already. Um, yeah, it's. This is what we've been talking about. The Kings get themselves in a really weird spot where they're chasing the dregs of a playoff and postseason appearance that we understand is so elusive for them. Just to get in there, regardless of what happens, is awesome. And I want that for Sacramento Kings fans a lot. I also just don't want them sitting back in a, in a spot where they don't get into the playing spot, but they also don't get themselves a really handy draft pick where you can get some of these game-changing players at the the front end of the draft, like a you know Jabari Smith or a um, or Chet Holmgren, all these sort of guys. So it's an interesting time for Sacramento, but I do think that yeah, if they drop a couple of these games in quick succession, we did say that they need to be perfect basically after the All Star break. They haven't been so far, and they're running out of time to really lose a couple of games and work themselves into this. So I don't think it's a bad shout at all. I just think about what the Raptors did last year. They were in a similar spot after the All-Star break. They tanked. They got Scotty Barnes, tweaked things in the off-season, and now the Raptors are, you know, obviously they're not a super high-playing team in the East, but not too many teams are keen on seeing the Raptors on any given night mm. when they're fully healthy. So I think that's got to be the model. And look, I'm not a big tanking guy either, but this little post-All-Star tank, if you can get yourself from the eighth pick to the fourth pick, um, it's usually worth it because trading up is usually damn expensive. I want to move on to the Avica Zubac Unsung Hero of the Week Award, Nick. Now, the name you've got there is one I've seen you put down there before. Uh, I think you're quite fond of him. Talk to me about your nomination for the week. Yeah, not not like uh, someone who's just come in and had a major stat line, but you're right, Lou, he's a guy that I've liked um, and had a pretty important role to play today. Um, and that's Damien Jones. Um now, the stat line, six points, four rebounds, and three blocks doesn't really jump off the page. But in a game where no Rashawn Holmes, uh, not really any any big options available outside of DeMontis Sabonis, who was not having a good game. As I said um, previously, we were talking about the Kings. Had eight turnovers and quickly got himself in some foul strife, which I don't know how you do again. I mean, I mean, I do know how you do it against the guards of OKC, but, you know, not, not exactly banging away with um, the front court options that – the Thunder basically got to roll out at the moment. But DJ went in there and I thought was really effective. Um, yeah, three blocks, I think, was was massive. Um, was able to really provide a bit of a presence in there. And I'm still, like, a big fan of his that, you know, I, th- I think that he should be, if he's not being part of the Sacramento uh, rotation for the long haul, that he should be playing similar to the role that he played on Golden State as a high-energy big um, who can, yeah, help out, a, I think, a playoff team. So, um, you know, his second time in there, um, I thought that, yeah, he's continues to show um, more reasons why he's matured since his Golden State days. I think that, 
he can still make some boneheaded decisions, but I think that his games are looking his games looking a lot more refined these days. And yeah, I think he's a, a good shout for the Zoobs Award this week. Yeah, the game no, that Sacramento really had to win as well that we we're talking about. He's he's fitted in pretty well there, and I think that's a good shout. Um, you know, he's been perennially underrated for a little bit now, uh, and you know he does a lot of the basic stuff well. So I've got a lot of respect for for Damian Jones. Um, for our listeners playing along at home as well, I believe Damian Jones may now be leading the Avita Zubac Unsung Hero of the Year award tally. Nick, I think so. We're going to start getting some. Uh, it's what you know now three. Yeah, it's very impressive. He's building up. Um, but uh, Nick will continue to, as will I, continue to vote weekly. Uh, there is no bias winning of this award. Um, Damian Jones is a worthwhile deserver. Three weeks from now, he'll certainly be winning it. So I've got someone that I know is not going to be winning this award, but uh, the precedent was set last year in the playoffs of naming coaches and executives. So I've gone with Ty Lue. Um There's nice. a lot of talk, yep. as you mentioned. Steve Kerr's... Someone that gets talked about a lot. Frank Vogel is someone that's been talked about a lot for the bad reasons recently. Um, and obviously, uh, Monty Williams is probably going to be coach of the year and gets a lot of credit. He was the all-star coach, and I love Monty Williams. But there's not a lot of talk at the moment about Ty Lue, who came in to coach a contender, um, lost both of his stars to injury this year uh, after losing one of his stars to injury in last year's postseason. And it's got this really plucky group of players in LA playing just enjoyable basketball, even though you know that they're probably not getting out of the first round if they do get out of the play-in. But it's just keeping the spirits so much higher in the Clippers locker room, which I think we're seeing the negative effects of what happens when your spirits are low in the Lakers locker room. So shout out to Ty Lue for doing a job that wasn't necessarily in his job description, but doing it damn well. Yeah, really, really good shout. I think that... He's done a lot with the group that he's got. Um, and, you know, guys have been in and out of that rotation a fair bit. And they've had rotation change because of trades. Um, and he's had a lot of guys that have sort of, I mean, in the last couple of years really have sort of reclaimed off the off the scrap heap, you know, namely sort of Nick Batum, Reggie Jackson. Uh, they've been able to get, uh, you know, Isaiah Hartenstein, uh, my guy playing some pretty damn good basketball. And, um yeah, he's do- he's doing a lot with the little, and um, he's made the Clippers look like a really competitive team, um, particularly for a bit of a tough start. I think and since then they've looked, yeah, they've they've grind out ga- they've grind out games on a regular basis, come back from a lot of games, and he doesn't play favourites too much as well, which is something that I really like. You know, if guys are playing well, he's going to play them. Um, I do wish Steve Kerr sometimes would do that and not play Damian Lee as much, but um. It's something that I think that, you know, Ty, Ty Lewis, I think, turned into one of the more popular coaches, I think, um, since he started getting head coaching jobs in the, in the NBA um, and is very much deserving of our uh, award that uh, one of his charges is named after, uh, is, has his namesake uh, on the trophy. So only fair that, yeah, Ty Lewis gets one himself. Absolutely. I would also like to shout out the TNT broadcast team that described Avica Zubac is one of the most unsung big men in the league uh, during oh. the Lakers Clippers games. So, you know, we'll be waiting for our royalty check when it comes, don't you worry. <laughs> um, until then, it's been a great uh, little week wrapping up here with you, Nick. Next week, we're probably going to have a great idea of where some of these teams are going to start to position for the playoffs coming down the home stretch, particularly the Kings, 
the Lakers, the Clippers, uh, and to a lesser extent, the high-flying Suns and Warriors. Uh, it's been a pleasure as always, listeners. We'll be back with you next week. Absolutely.